Rinky dinking. One, two, three. One, two, three. Testing totes. Yeah, totes. the old group is back here this week as Jeff Totes is rejoined. And he says he has a great big soggy bag of nothing for us <laughs> a little later on in the show. But it is a newsy day here uh, as the there's been a trade, as they say, at the draft. Yep. Everyone, there's a, a titter and a murmur that goes through the audience and all the tables on the floor. <gasps> oh, my God, there's been a trade. But there has been a trade, and it's a fairly significant one uh, on both sides, yeah. really, for both the Dallas Stars and the Anaheim Ducks. By the time this one hits, this will be slathered all over the place. But Andrew Cogliano from the Ducks uh, coming to Dallas in return for Devin Shore. It's a, it's a Wolverine for a black bear, I guess, is the way you yeah. can look at it. Good if you go way players. back with, yeah. with Andrew. Uh, I'll let you just – Hammer just away riff at, on this. Which, I mean, this just happened literally right. hours ago. And it's, you know, obviously you're going to process more the more you talk to people and get their opinions on why these things happen. Both teams need a shakeup, I think. I mean, Anaheim obviously is in their losing streak and they need something to change. Uh, Dallas, I think we've talked about culture for three weeks now. And so we're going to talk more about I it know, in a second, too. But Andrew Cogliano is a type of player, I think, who they believe, the front office believes, could help in changing that culture. Um, there are some numbers that, you know, I think favor the Ducks on this one in that, you know, Devin Shore is 24, Andrew Cogliano 31. Uh, Devin Shore is on at, I think, 2.4, 2.35 on his contract. Andrew Cogliano has two more years after this one at 3.25. So you're adding more salary. You're adding more age. Andrew Cogliano is a smaller, faster player. But I think he weighs 177 pounds is how he's listed. Um, and then I think what the Stars would like is that he's a more traditional second-line player who might be able to line up next to Jason Spezza and try yeah. and help whatever that problem, the perceived problem might be. But he's struggling to score this year, too. So sometimes changing teams yeah. can help everybody. Doesn't it smell like one of those deals? Yes. This is two guys or we two got, teams. You, you've got a, an individual in Devin who I adore. I, I just love Devin Shore. He had such a rough year last year in the plus-minus department early, and it, it just was an anvil around his neck right. the rest of the season. There's a coaching change, comes back in this year, has a pretty good start uh, to things, and then hit the skids after that two-goal game against the Sharks here, got injured. Right. But he's pushing 30 games without a goal, and that's way not because he's the type of guy that it just wears on him, right. and you can see it. And he's such a sunny human being. So for, for him to go the other way, maybe it jars him out of it. Uh, but I, I thought this with, with Cogliano coming here, th th that line with Kessler and Silverberg at times was arguably the best counterpunching right. you know, support line in hockey. So if you look over here, you might have to squint your eyes a little bit, but you put them on a line with Jason Spezza and Matthias Janmark, a Swede, right. maybe you find some of that same liquid in a bottle with that. I... I I don't know. I, I he he comes in. He's a guy who shows up for work every single day. He's played 912 games. He's missed one, right? Right. And that one was a suspension, right? Which was Huey right. at the time too. I agree. Otherwise, it'd be kind of neat if you had the if, if he, if he had it going and, and he was gonna we bring chase down Doug, Jar Doug Jarvis yes. in here and have a big meeting between nine, the two nine sixty four something consecutive like game. Yeah. 
This is the one that that struck me, though, is that over the last seven seasons, he doesn't score an awful lot, but he's a combined plus 65. He's a very good player without the puck. Correct. And he's played high-energy, high-end games in the playoffs, and lots of them lately. A veteran guy, you're going to be able to trust him. You know what you're going to get day in and day out from Andrew Cogliano. So I, yeah. I I can see it on that end. He was traded once before. It was in 2011 when he got dealt from Edmonton to the Ducks for a second-round pick that turned out to be Mark Olivier, either Roy or Roy, who has not turned into anything. So uh, I'm with you. I'm hoping that this is a this is one of those deals that is good for Devin and and great for the Dallas Stars. You know what's interesting? The the one when you were talking about what he could add and how you could put him in there, like he seems to have a skill set that's similar to Hemsky's. I mean, he's better defensively obviously, but if he can just stretch the ice a little bit and those defensemen who seem to be pretty skilled can get him the puck, that does open up a lot of different things that the Stars could do with him. Yeah, there there aren't too many games that I've watched Andrew Cogliano and didn't admire some of what he does. Right. You know, he's just one of those guys that is just such a conscientious uh, and speedy player that you can you can tell every shift he comes off the ice yeah. and he pretty much pretty much left it all out there, and then he's back for more again. And obviously, he's played through some stuff, right. so he's got some character in there as well. Interesting, very interesting. In some ways, the for Devin, it reminds me of when Riley uh, Shan was dealt to Pittsburgh. Remember he. He just couldn't buy a goal. Right. And they got to a point with the Red Wings where it was like, you know, he just needs something. He needs a change. Yeah. And I think they ended up getting Scott Wilson in a, in a pick back. Yeah. And a, in an odd is. twist, I believe uh, the Ritchie family and uh, Devin are pretty close. So, uh, oh, there Richie, you go. There you go. So maybe he's got a. a you new have roommate. to wonder in the back of your mind whether there were some conversations about right. Brett Ritchie, yeah. who's had a tough time getting into the Stars lineup consistently. His brother's right there in, in Anaheim. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, it's uh there's a new there's a new boy in town and we wish we wish Devin all the best, all the best. And this comes on the heels of of two things. One casino night last night, which we'll very get important. into hopefully a little later on. And uh some some very biting commentary from the head coach after just an ugly ugly loss. Not even just the loss, just the way they went about their business in getting beat by the St. Louis Blues here on Saturday night. And, you know, the headline-grabbing quote was culture of mediocrity. And it's resonating around. It's been pretty tumultuous and and splashy headline two or three weeks for this organization. And this was the latest one. That was a stick-your-needles-in-your-eyes performance on Saturday, though, wasn't it? Well, and especially when you were at the morning skate, and Jim Montgomery's pulling over the first line. Now he's pulling over the second line. And he's got real instructions, like not just rah, rah, you know, let's go. Like, we need this from you. We need this from you. We need this from you. St. Louis is going to be really revved up to come in here and prove that that game on Tuesday wasn't what the St. Louis Blues are. And they've been playing great on the And, like, he's telling them all this stuff. And then they turn around and give up a goal 34 seconds in. And they have 32 giveaways, which I think you could have given them even more than that. I do too. Uh, and it was, just but it a, was, 
you know, I looked. I don't usually take a lot of stock in, in that because it's so right. different, as you know, from arena to arena. But a lot of times, the way I approach it is, whatever the number is, it's the disparity between Correct. the two teams because they're obviously clocking in both clubs the same way. Right. So when you look at it on a game to game basis and you see that. And, you, you you know, you can look at giveaways, right. but you also have to go over one column and look at takeaways for the other team because those are those – and you start combining those in that game. I think there were like 16 in the first period yeah. for Dallas, which is insane. Yes. Sloppy. Well, bid-worthy. I, and, and not just that. It's, it's And give – and I did throughout the game. Give the Blues a lot of credit oh, yeah. for the way they played. I mean, they, they, they played, I would think, the way – Monty wants this group to play Correct. night in and night out. Exactly. Where you're relentless, just relentless, <laughs> pressuring the puck, yeah. forcing the other side into bad decisions with the pill. Well, and the the game as it is now, in my belief, is so much of it's in the neutral zone. And if you give the puck away in the neutral zone, especially the way that people want to create speed going forward through the neutral zone, you drag your line mates with you. Now you drag them, you give the puck away. It's a real problem. Oh, you're chasing. Yeah, and, and everybody's chasing. And then it's an outmanned, and then your goalie has to be fantastic. And Yeah, it, it was interesting, though, to see him stand there at the podium and, and say that. I, I remember back in my blog writing days, way back when, <laughs> when I was a writer. Uh, everything's video and, and audio nowadays. Right. I hate to tell you that. That's fine. Thank God you're in the audio business now. That's right. Along with your spectacular oh, writing, Mike. You got Pro- a lot to write about again. It's pros today and going forward, but I, I wrote about about this topic in like 2012. You know, it, this is seven years later, and we're still skipping along with that. There was a, a spike, obviously, when they mm-hmm. won the division. I look back even on that year, and I'm not trying to Debbie down anything. It was that was a wonderful season yeah. of hockey around here, but they. They jumped out to such a spectacular start to that year. And then if you look after really Christmas, I think it was, yeah. it was they were like a 500 team the rest of the way. Yeah, they built up this, this big lead. I think they went on a charge again the last couple of weeks of the season. But they had large stretches of, the, of that season too where they were just a, a mediocre team. Yeah. Like they were a 500 team again. And it just begs the question, how do you how do you get out of this? Well, I will say the coach is a big part of it, and this is a really interesting approach for a rookie coach who hasn't been in the NHL before. Um, one I think don't you think this though with with Montgomery? He's just like all these young players that come into the league now. They they don't want to wait around for their right. turn. They they step forward, they lean in immediately. You know, Miro's that way, not yeah. personality-wise, no. but they have no problem with whoever they're playing against or with. Correct. They have no problem with that. Whereas before, they were overwhelmed and and they would defer. And I do I say this now? I don't feel like I have enough skins on the wall to step forward and play that way. Where there's no way I belong in this group right now. I don't think they feel that way for the most part. No, anymore. and that's that athletic arrogance I say, and, mm-hmm. I, and it's not a bad thing. It's a great. It's thing. a great thing. And then the other thing is arrogance think, is a bad thing. Well, yes. Totes, listen. <laughs> but athlete, but I do, and Miro's a great example of this is what he's done since he's whatever been six. Yeah, you know, in his his long life, this is how Miro's 
found success. Well, this is how Jim Montgomery's found success. Mm -hmm. He has a plan. He has a belief in how to do things, and he believes that it's going to work at every single level. If he was coaching the Olympics, if he was coaching the, the World Cup, I think he would have the same attitude for Sidney Crosby and, and you know, whoever else. Uh, you know, so I, I do believe that he believes what he is doing is right. It's just really interesting to watch him do that because I think the natural – response to us is, whoa, I'm not sure you want to say that out loud because that's something that should be said behind closed doors. But as we talk about all this stuff, the pressure's got to come from somewhere. Mm. And so maybe that's the proper place for the pressure to come from. Maybe. Uh, it's, I, I, I have beliefs. You have beliefs. I think everyone has beliefs. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can spout opinions and what have you in this forum. There's wins and losses connected right. to you as a coach or as a player, or as a GM. And when I look at, at how to get out of this, it, it's, it's not easy, but everyone has to be honest. There, there has to be an honesty. Maybe that's starting to froth up a little more around here. Yeah. But just be honest with your assessments without bristling at whatever the opinions of other people are. Right. Like, it just has to be – I'm not saying that you, you have to act upon whatever, but – I, I think the more ideas and, and opinions and that, that that flow in and people feel comfortable saying honest things, and again, maybe we're seeing more of that here right now midseason where we can't have all this stuff back in a lean-to or a shelter. It's It's got to be near a window at least, if not an open window. Yeah. And and the the tent of ideas has to be a big one. You know, it, it can't be a, a small little yurt. It has to be a great big tent, yeah. not a circus tent. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. But it's the, not uh, a circus, you know what I mean? No, like, no, I think and, you're and again, dead on. And again, it's not to say that, well, this guy, we're going to take all these ideas and we're going to act upon them. That, that doesn't seem to work either. It, it has to be deciphering which ones. And I would think from time to time you get the I never even thought about that. Right. Let's chase that one down. Maybe maybe we'll see where that that goes. And this is not ripping the old coaching staff, but it really did seem like it was Hitch and Rick making all decisions, and everybody else saying, "Okay, well those guys are veterans. We're gonna we're gonna listen to what they have to say." This coaching staff seems like Jim really wants to invite all opinions and all discussions and like you said have a nice big room with a lot of voices and then Jim will say Jim Montgomery will say all right I'm the final decision I'm the head coach mm -hmm. but I want all this information and and you know whether it works or not we'll see but I do like that philosophy I do too I and I don't think it's just coaching I think it's just in your organizational look at at things whether it's hockey or some other sport or probably in business yep. it would work the same way and there, there has to be an unwavering attention to detail, like unwavering. Right. And I, I see, I see more of that going on, and that's what has made some of the people that are here now special in what they've done yeah. in the past. Is that that that's been their culture? Is it it doesn't go down a notch. This is what we believe our excellence level is, and we're going to maintain it. They're struggling just to get to that excellence yeah, yeah. level right now, and and it it does ultimately come back to your leaders. Yeah, you I know, at, at whatever, because you can have all these opinions and all these people and all that, 
for the most part, though, the speed of the leader is the speed of the gang. I agree with that, although I, Montgomery said this about two weeks ago, that he also needs to get his secondary leadership going. And I, that was a special group, so it's hard to put this up there. But having the Keens and the Carbonos and the Scroodlins and guys like that who don't wear letters and still can be leaders, I think, also is important. And they're also working on that element of the game. Yeah. Do you think the Patriots look for secondary leadership that much? It's an interesting question. Um, I Probably not. I don't. I think. They bring in, uh, in some ways, they probably do, and it's just silent. Right. But for the most part, you know what's stirring that thing, and well, who, and, and, and who's funny, leading. The funny thing that, about that, that's an that is an incredible thing what they've done there, in a league that doesn't allow that. the The funny thing to me is the fact that you have this quarterback who might be the greatest of all time, who never has anything but respect for the coach who if the coach is screaming in his face, he's like, yep, you're right, and sets that example for the entire organization. And that's a special guy. But it goes the other way, too, from stuff that's leaked out, which is he goes after the quarterback harder than anybody in that room. Right. And, you know, and then you watch him on the sideline from time to time, and he has no – problem spouting opinions and no, he looks true. as calm as he usually is when he's speaking into a microphone right. and some funky jacket after a game uh he's fiery on the sideline there's a competitive juice that just seems to be that, that the glass of juice never <laughs> seems to go down that far it's they amazing. never get to half full it's amazing it is but it it reminds me a little bit of uh back when when messier was a thing whether it be with the Oilers or with the Rangers when they won in, in the early 90s, the, he has that quote, and it, there's winning and there's misery. Yep. Th those are the two things. There's, there's nothing else. Right. And when you, you watch Tom Brady talk about things and that now, it's, essentially that's it. Yeah. We either win or everything sucks until we win again. Right. And it's tough to do. I know. I understand that in yeah. a in a parody driven well, league. And but. I'll go back to your guy. I think Sidney Crosby is very much the same yeah. way in the NHL. And he's not as vocal about it or animated, let's say. But that drive, that every single day, you know, discipline to make this team a winner. Uh, but somebody was talking about him. That's a good. That's actually a good analogy because they were talking, and I can't remember who it is that had the quote about Sidney Crosby, but he's he's the greatest uh, first-line grinder in the history yes. of the National Hockey League, or superstar grinder. You know, he's got a fourth-line mentality where he approaches every day, not games, no. every day as if he's, he's still earning his spot. And I think Brady goes about yeah, his business exactly. the same way. In the off season, on off days, in games, like you know, you hear those stories of Garofalo uh, yep. when he was there. I mean, he viewed him as a threat and yeah. treated him that way. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. It's funny. All right, I'll give you this. This is just an odd side note. But Stu Barnes told me he had lost like 10, 15 pounds because he thought he was getting a little bit soft and everything like that. And I said, well, how'd you do that? He goes, well, I only eat this, this, and this, and this. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen here. <laughs> but my point was I said, there is a, something to the athlete's mind that he just said, all right, I'm only going to eat 
these six yeah. things, and that's all he does. Yeah. And there's real no no reason for him to be in that much better shape. But he just said, "I want to do this. I'm going to do this." Well, TV does add ten well, pounds. There Mike. you go. And and I'm going to do this every single day, and that's what he does. And there is something to that training, that mindset of you have that ability to be that disciplined, which I. I don't know if a lot of other minds uh, in other fields are that disciplined. <laughs> it just uh, the the thing I like about about this is that there there is a thirst. I don't think it's a panic or an urgency. There might be some of that in there, right. but there is a thirst to get back to that. Right. You know, like and it, we got jaded after a while around here where it was the it was that there was a culture of excellence, right? Year after year after year, and it's driven internally. And uh, and when it, I remember thinking when it goes away, and I'd hear people say, "Man, I don't want to be around here when this is a 500 team," and, right? And that, because it is, it's painful. You know, it's up and down, it's lurchy, instead of just okay, here we go again, and right. here we go again, and you admire. Chicago's run and Pittsburgh's run and Tampa Bay, who will be in here this week, and vice versa. The teams that never seem to get out of it—they don't. I know. They're always in the in the middle. Yes. And get it? How do you get away from sixteenth, right, or seventeenth overall, and aspiring to be, you know, fifteenth? Yeah. Hope oh, we could just be eighth. And there, there's been the arguments of, well, maybe you need to shove it right in their their face. This is who you are, because I think. From time to time, for players, maybe even entire organizations, you start to believe that you're better than you actually are. Right. You know, because in we talk mostly about uh, positives. We, everyone tries to spin positives. Right. And you can find silver linings in a lot of things. And marketing seems to drive a lot, marketing yep. and sales. And, and you start to believe some of the hype. You know, well, maybe we're not that. Yeah. that bad and perhaps it holds you back a little bit from saying no you're this right you may think you're these guys you're not all the numbers are stating that you're this and if you want to get there like somebody here's an example and then we'll move on I, somebody the other day uh talked about it was last night at the at casino night that they would they would like to go to uh montreal and see a game in Montreal. And I was like, you know what? Every game in Montreal to me is awesome. Right. Whether it's a Tuesday night, it's cross conference. There's still, there's, there's a, uh, and especially when the team is, is going well, because they, you know, they'll fall off the map there a little bit too, as far as, you know, people will still pay attention, but it, they don't do it at the same level as they do when man, the Habs are thriving. But, I said to him, I want you to come up there when we're good yep. and they're pretty good. And Hockey Night in Canada wants the Dallas Stars on a Saturday night in Montreal because there's nothing like that. But in order to get to that level, you you don't want to be the Tuesday night or the Monday night game in Toronto or in Montreal. You want to be the Saturday night game. Right. You want to be the opponent on a Saturday night game. Because in a lot of ways, that announces that you have once again arrived on the grander uh, stage. Yeah. And there's nothing better. No. But you, but you have to become that team again. 
you can't just be one of 31 now soon to become 32 and show up early in the week play your game and move on right so we're, we'll move on to coaching trees we're going to stay in the coaching family okay and uh, i did very little research for this but i did some but i found it intriguing coaching trees next <laughs> Like family trees. Yes. Apples falling from them. Why is it always an apple tree that they talk about? I guess apples, you can pick them up and eat them, and as opposed to if you go get a cherry or, or something. Or they can like rot that. on the ground. Well, they could. That's true, too. You can turn them into cider. There's a lot of things you could do with an apple. Anyway, the NFL apple, I found this one absolutely fascinating. All 12 of the playoff teams this year in the NFL had their head coaches fall from the coaching trees of the two Bills, either Bill Walsh or Bill Parcells. Interesting. Isn't it, though? Yeah. They have a lot of assistance. I will say that. So, like... The they do, yes. The coaching staff, the, the, the just the raw numbers of you yeah, you're crossing right. paths with some of these great ones, it may only be a year or two or whatever, so I get all that. But I, I also agree with you. But for them all to ascend to become head coaches. Correct. Now, the argument would be, it's not argument, but the reality is that your offensive coordinators and your defensive coordinators are essentially head coaches, Correct. right? Yeah. They're, they're like head coaches, and then you got a CEO above them who's your head coach, right. I would think. Yes. But still, it, I think the world of those two humans. Correct. Just on a, how they – like Bill Walsh ran that thing with the 49ers, not just the football club that organization right and you know speaking of moving from mediocrity to excellence pretty much did that there well and it's interesting again the parcells line of i want to be if i'm going to cook the dinner i yeah. want to buy the groceries yeah. that is the mindset of the guys who are the ceo of control a football team. they are yeah. but with good reason yeah and then when they put their controls in place it seems to work no matter who the person is. So, obviously, two of the Hall of Fame greatest head coaches in NFL history. So, you start looking through the NHL coaches in this regard, and it's hard to find even a assistant Correct. that moved on to be a head coach for a long period of time. So, I looked at just the top guys in wins, right? Right. So, Scotty Bowman's number one. Name an assistant that Scotty had through the years that, that went on to have any kind of a brilliant coaching career as a head guy. You know, the guy who sticks out the worst is Dave Lewis, who followed Scotty in Detroit and was terrible. Yeah. And so you're just like, well, how could you just take, just change Scotty Bowman and, and his assistant takes over and you're like, well, of course they're still going to be good. But George Seifert. Yeah. I don't know. You're right. It's it's interesting. And 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 maybe it's the the... Now, there is no explanation. No, I know. Number two on the list is Joel Quenville. Name an assistant that he – he's number two in wins. Right. He's had, uh, I think, Mike Kitchen's probably his longest lieutenant. Around, yep. But he's not going to get a head coaching job no. anywhere, it doesn't seem. Then you move on to Hitch. You know, Doug Jarvis, Rick, Rick Wilson. Wilson. 
He had Gary Agnew for a while. They none of them ascend. Mm. They're not on anybody's lips as far as getting interviewed to be head coaches. I would say Hitch has had impact on a lot of other coaches. Probably Scotty too. Younger right. guys that were moving up through whatever ranks. I don't know how free Scotty was with <laughs> with his ideas, his ideas and that. But Hitch has been a, I think, a wonderful sounding board. I mean, Montgomery talks about yes. him a lot. I think he, he he had that from Claire Drake when he was coming up, and he's tried to pass that along. Yeah, the I the think. coaching school, and mentality. then the argument would be, well, part of that too is that Hitch believes everything that he knows is the most important stuff on <laughs> earth. So he he doesn't mind sharing. Yes, it. yes. <laughs> he wants to show how smart he is. The next one is Barry Trotz. I can't think of any of no. his assistants from those early you know long tenure with the Predators that have gone on. So the ones that have uh, – Tortorella had Mike Sullivan as an assistant for a while, and then Sullivan goes on uh, to be the head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins, won two cups. So he would Death fall in, in that category. Mike Babcock, who's been regarded as the best coach, you know, for the last decade and a half in this league. Have anybody in Anaheim? Paul McLean. Yeah, maybe. It was, you know, there, right. there really haven't been that many. Uh, you know, Todd McClellan, I think, was there. there yeah, there, that's the one I think you could say there, that that, like when you watch Todd McClellan coach, he coaches like yeah. he's coaching the Red Wings. Yeah. Well, and I, th I think there are, well, what's his name in Calgary? Uh, Bill. He, he's another one, but that goes back to their junior days. Right. So you'd slot him in there. Uh, Blaschel talks like Babcock. <laughs> which happens yep. from time to time. But he might be another one that, that has absorbed some of that and is a head coach in, right. in Detroit. So he may have more than you actually think. We talked about this the other day. The greatest one, example of this, maybe the only right. great example of this, is the 1996 Colorado Avalanche with Mark Crawford as the head coach, Joel Quenville as one of his assistants, Jacques Martin as another assistant, right. and Jacques Cloutier as the other. So if you look through that, you have Crow, who won 549 games as a head coach. Quenville, who's at 890 and currently raking in $6 million to watch games on mm, TV. It's a good gig. Jacques Martin, 613 wins. That's pretty That's salty pretty group there. Yeah. No wonder they won in 96. It was a great, it really was a great coaching staff because yeah. I remember watching that team and they uh, they did a good job of using their skill. <laughs> and yeah. they had great players, but those were some, it was hard to win a cup back then. You know, not that it's easy now, but. You had to you, beat some top end teams yeah. back then. And it, it was, it was ice war back yeah. in those days. Uh, Daryl Sutter and, and Jacques Lemaire would be a couple other guys I thought of. I can't think of any of Jacques' guys. Daryl, Jim Playfair, yeah, uh, John Stevens, obviously, and then that yeah. fizzled out in in L.A. But anyway, isn't that something? Different world. It is. They, this is. I will say this, and and it's a recycling world of coaches here. Like they they don't mind taking a head coach and bringing him back again, and like. Don't you think though? And then we'll move on. Yeah. That the toughest thing to do in our business is to move from an assistant coach on an NHL bench 
to a head coach. Yes, because they always wanted to go down to the AHL and be a head coach. Because I think the perception of them always is, well, we need a guy who's been the head guy. So they look at the head coach of a minor league team, the head coach of a college team, the head coach of a junior team as being the heir apparent to right. these better prepared head coaching jobs. Yeah, because they've they've done that. I I understand it's tough to elevate a guy who's an assistant to the head coach in your own organization, but it seems weird that it's difficult for guys to be an yeah. assistant coach here and then get hired as a head coach over there, yeah. whereas coordinators get grabbed all the time to go and coach somewhere else. So, uh, holy puckaganda. Whoa. It's a short one. It's coming next. Apparently, our boy Tom Holy a little busy today. He's typing his little fingers on. Yes, he's press release day and getting all things ready uh, for the Andrew Cogliano arrival uh, here in Dallas. So he did find a moment to text me today's Pacaganda, and it is this. Andrew, Co- Andrew Cogliano has drawn 12 minor penalties this season. That would slot second on the stars for putting the team on the power play. Do you know who number one is? For the Dallas Stars. It's, it's another kind of similar type player to Cogliano. Speed. Foxa? Speed. No, he's no. number two. Blake Como. Oh, okay. Speed. Speed and puck possession yeah. draws penalties. And Como's been terrific. He's been a great penalty killer, too. Imagine those two. They might be dangerous. Yeah, maybe they would. They and I will tell you, a counterpunch. The uh, team that has the fewest power plays in the league might could use a few of those. Yes, uh, Radic Fox is number two in drawn penalties with eleven, and Alexander Radulov is tied with him with eleven drawn penalties. Same idea, down deep has the puck. Guys are dra- he could have twenty five drawn penalties if the league right. would actually call rules. Uh, he probably counters the, the he, twenty. He, that he might have twenty five taken. <laughs> the eleven that he's drawn. He leads the stars in minor penalties. Yeah, he did which last is a year crazy, too. crazy stat. He just can't. He can't control himself sometimes. And then Tyler Sagan with nine. Yeah. So speed. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's what you need. Speed, puck possession. Stars need to get on the power play more. Yes. That they're on pace for like two hundred and ten power play opportunities this year they had just shy of 500 power play opportunities in 0506 yeah. but i mean everybody did it, it was a different world but, but but lindy's teams also because again he wanted to stretch the ice he wanted to team yeah but, but even those ones were only in the high 200s yeah like 290 270 it and it's just steadily going down and this isn't just a stars thing right they've stopped calling penalties in this league I, I find it bizarre. I'm fine with letting the guys play, but they just overlook hacks and hooks and trips. It's weird. Yeah. Apparently, they don't want power plays to – maybe it's uh, they're trying to suppress statistics. I don't know. Got a CBA coming up and yeah. everything. Well, speaking of, of uh, bargaining, there's uh, soon-to-be difference – Probably in our shows on television, the presentation may look a little different. 
I don't know if people have been following this, but this is coming down. This started with the 21st Century Fox sale to Disney about two months ago, three months ago. So Disney must peel off the 21 or 22 RSNs, regional sports networks. Fox Sports Southwest is our wonderful partner here. Uh, it was announced just before the weekend in, in a bit of a bombshell that Fox is not going to bid to reacquire these, which was a possibility. Uh, Sports Business Daily says that Sinclair has submitted a bid, uh, Ice Cube, and that, yeah, Ice Cube is a big three? Yeah. Is that his? The basketball yeah. yeah. Well, he's shown interest in – in purchasing the RSNs or some of them. Obviously, private equity firms. Amazon has been rumored Interesting. to jump in as well. Although Matt, perhaps all that money that was going to go into the RSNs is going to his soon-to-be ex-wife. As Bezos is in a is in a I'm sure they'll divorce. work out something amicable. Well, <laughs> amicable by... Does that mean $63 million? Billion. Or billion? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this... Uh, it has to be sold 90 days of closing of Disney's $71.3 billion purchase of Fox Entertainment assets. So this seems inevitable that that it's going to change here, and it'll change during the season. Like right. This will have to be done by like the end of February or thereabouts. Yeah. And it, it, it started me down the... The path there. I know so many wonderful people, and they again, they've been a terrific partner, not just here but throughout the league. That's a lot of games. That you know, Fox produces and pumps out more hockey content than anybody. In it's the, how in, you watch the game. The, yes, in the United States. But it's amazing how reliant the league and team hockey departments are on our work and our feeds for their business. Correct. Like it. It probably is that way with every other sport, too. But may, I can't think of anybody more reliant than the NHL and teams on their partners in broadcast right. with video. The amount of video gets pumped out. so It's going to be interesting. Uh, it, the other thing that's interesting is the way that, at least my personal experience with Fox Sports Southwest, but these are really well-run. Yeah networks very and so then now i've been in situations where money makes a difference in how you run your business and so now do the new bean counters so to speak come in and say well we're not going to spend money on this and we're not going to spend money on this and does that affect the product that fans get at home or does it go the other way yeah maybe you know where you know a, a company like amazon buys yeah. it what a bold new frontier that would be for how people consume our product going forward. I, I think between between our websites and the individual websites, like Fox's website, right. the league's website, just just think of how a game gets distilled now. You know, from what we, you know, Josh and myself and Mark Vittorio and Mike Leary and John Sponsler and Totsi and everyone that works on our broadcast. And we we never know when the moment is going to come. This is going to be important, which right. makes sports valuable. Right. So 
we do that. We do the game. Immediately after the game, it gets parsed by the league on their highlights. It gets parsed during the game on their website. It gets put out on GIFs or GIFs or whatever you want to call them. Then on our website, it's broken down in about a six-minute clip of here's the game again. Same thing goes out on NHL.com. And uh, obviously, uh, I get I speak about it on the Emporium, which is the most important part of this thing, although there's no video component The fans to seem it. to love it. The coaches need it in-game for their clips that they now feed in real time out to the bench. There are monitors in the floor. The league needs it to go over whether a goal was scored or not scored, if this is challenged. and Now, they put their own camera in there, too, on the blue lines. And some in the nets, but they need all. They need all. They need all angles. our cameras. Yeah. So, we are the most important thing going in the National Hockey League. I've said this for a long time. It's true, though. I mean, it's it's how we consume sports. And then you sit there and, and think at home, you know, oh, I want to back this up and I want to do this and I want to be controlling the truck myself and all of that works. But then you got to give them the video. Oh, and they, I mean, people lose their mind. We, we miss a face-off. Yeah. Because they want to show a video of face-offs. We're trying to show a replay. We come back late. We're the bad guy. Right. We're like, well, we're trying to do our show. We don't do our show for the hockey department, although we do do it for the hockey department. Everybody relies and on And believe you. me, we think about it, and we have such a wonderful relationship between Sean Andrake and, and obviously Kelly Forbes, right. who does a – Terrific job with the video of the stars. They need us. They need certain things. They Correct. need our feed. Thank God they turned the volume down on the broadcast. <laughs> That's the one good thing. So keep an eye on that. I, I Nobody really knows right. where it's going, but it's a very important portion of this whole thing, and it affects, it affects a lot of things going forward, what direction this thing goes. Uh, Let's end it on on a on a high note here. A fun note. Speaking of money, <laughs> casino night was last night, uh, and it's twentieth annual. We've done this for twenty years now, right. and it's a blast. I've seen the patrons that come to this change through the years. There's been a big turnover, but every single year, the strong and the devoted fans come back, open up their wallets, have a good time. The players are terrific. They mingle with them. We, we have a good night together where wins and losses don't matter, and we're just trying to help out some charities and, and the Stars Foundation. Yeah. we. I think everyone aspires to have this be a winning franchise, and that is the bottom line for everything. But then when you look at the building on a regular night, and I it's know. pretty full. I know. And you look at casino Didn't night. you think of that on Saturday yes. night? Yes. I, I the sat cow- there. I'm going like, there's no way with the Cowboys yeah. playing that people are going to be at this game. And I looked at it. Now, it was an 8 o'clock start, right. so it, it helped people get there a little early, more so than when we tried 7 o'clocks and they show up about 725. Right. But I looked around the same thing, and I was like, wow. Like, if there was ever a night where this building should be half empty, it's probably tonight. Right. It's the Blues. They're struggling this season. The Cowboys are playing a playoff game, not a wild card game, no. a playoff game. And they were vibrant and into it, and the team obviously didn't give them no. and, and anything that's, that's to cheer a disappointing about. Part. I know. Keep going over all that. But the family of the stars, I, I, at times like this when you need your family, 
I do think it's nice. I think it's nice that you can go to casino night and share in a little bit of, you know, relief from all the daily problems of your hockey team. And and I do think the Stars Foundation does a great job. Oh. Uh, we've got the Wednesday game coming up here. I mean, it's just there's so many happy, good things that happen around this organization. And now if you mix winning into that, well, you know, everything is going to be fantastic. Yep, I agree with that. The casino night's a blast, and we raise so much money. It's the number one uh, income yeah. driver for the foundation. And then that money gets dispersed. And this was the first year of Marty Turco being the president of it. My wife started it way back in the day, the great Kristen Ray, and uh, handed it off a few years back. And it, I, from all views, it seems like Marty's taking it and probably going to, he and his staff going to take it to the next level. So we had a blast. Lots of people looking good. Lots of cleavage. Always lots of cleavage. <laughs> That's the one thing that endures at casino night. You are in Texas. Plunging necklines, <laughs> no matter the temperature. That was a chilly night, That's too. Right. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's let's call it a day for another week. We'll go meet Mr. Cogliano, and we'll see whether the stars can spin themselves up from this spot that they're at as we approach game 50 of the season. A great general manager back in the day once said, you find out exactly who your hockey team is from game 50 to 60. Interesting. I look forward to that. Yeah. Well, if they play to the level of their competition, they should be pretty good on Tuesday night. Yeah. So with the bye week and All-Star weekend upcoming, we're going to go on hiatus with Rinky Dinking, and we'll talk to you with lots of news after – 10 days off, and a refreshing couple of weeks on a beach for Mike Heike.